0: It's timely, it's insightful, it's motivating, it's empowering. It's Time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges paradigms and mindsets that hold us back. Today, 9-11 marks the anniversary of a day when terrorists hijacked aircrafts, and flew them right into the Twin Towers, killing close to 3,000 people. I was one of the firefighters who lived through, who worked so hard to save lives. Uh, had a very close uh, brush with death. Uh, he's in the person of Mr. Joe Turillo, and he's joining us all the way from New Jersey to share a very powerful story of survival and what happened to him on 9-11-2001. Mr. Turillo, welcome to the Time with Fred podcast. Thank you, Fred. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for your service. You are one of many um, firefighters who worked so hard to save the lives of the people who were trapped um, in that horrific incident for 19 years ago. Um, can you take us back a little bit, Mr. Torillo, to that event and exactly where you were and what happened to you?
1: Well, you know what? That day... Uh, will obviously always be uh, etched in my mind uh, forever and ever. Uh, uh, My story was one of many, many stories uh, that have been documented and have been told over the years since that horrific day. Uh, It seems that my story seems to be one of the most interesting and one of the most ironic stories uh, surrounding September 11, 2001. Uh, I had actually been recuperating from another injury before 9-11, and uh, I was recuperating in fire department headquarters at a desk job. They placed me in the office of fire safety education, like other firefighters that were recuperating from various injuries and illnesses. And because we couldn't be an active firefighter, they would send us out to one of the 2000 schools in New York City every day to go into the classrooms and speak to the kids about preventing fires and also how to survive a fire that wasn't prevented. and. I got so good at doing this, I became the director of the whole program. And so I was on this mission with the fire commission and the mayor to try to reduce fires and fatalities in New York City by educating the public, making them a partner in this partnership of fire prevention. So on 9-1-1, September 11, 2001, at nine o'clock in the morning, every TV station, every newspaper reported the mayor, the fire commissioner, Uh, all city officials were waiting for me at my learning center in Rockefeller Center to introduce this new rescue hero, Billy Blazes, a New York City firefighter. And I was in my office in headquarters, I got there early in that morning and I was catching up on some typical office tasks, voicemails, emails, payroll, scheduling. And it was about 20 minutes to nine and I realized, oh my God, I got to be at the press conference in 20 minutes, I better start heading over there from Brooklyn into Manhattan. And as I left headquarters, somebody said a plane just hit the World Trade Center. Huh. And of course, I couldn't have fathomed that. Like, I always thought that eventually something like that was gonna happen because I spent the first 15 years of my career in that little firehouse right across the street from the Twin Towers where I began my career. I left there in 1996 when I became a lieutenant, but from 1981 to 1996, for 15 years, I used to watch thousands of commercial jets on their approach to LaGuardia Airport, pass mm-hmm. over the towers. And I to said, one day, you know, Murphy's law, one of these planes are going to hit one of these towers.
0: Wow, wow.
1: And what's incredible, not too far before 9-11, a commercial jet missed one of the towers by 200 feet on its approach wow. to uh, LaGuardia Airport. And I said, one day, this is definitely going to happen. So. I got in the elevator and headquarters, I got into my fire department vehicle with three college kids who were in a special program becoming firemen. And I raced out of headquarters and two blocks away, I was already on the bridge that connects Brooklyn into Manhattan. And as I'm going over the bridge, I can look to the left at the towers and I see about 10 floors of fire around the top of the North Tower. Hmm. And now I don't know what to think. I'm saying, this is more than a little Piper Cub. And by the time I got over the bridge from the Brooklyn to the Manhattan side, might have been 30, 40 seconds at most. I got to make a decision. What do I do? Do I make a right turn and go to the press conference or do I make a left turn and make my way to my original firehouse across the street from the South Tower? At that point, I realized because I had heard that a plane hit the building. Now I realize it's true, but I don't know why it hit the building.
0: And you're probably thinking, oh, this is something that I always thought about, right? It's finally happened. Did that cross your mind?
1: Exactly, I'm saying I'm saying to myself, I've been telling people all these years this is gonna happen one day, and I'm like, oh my God. And so I see 10 floors of fire you know, on the top of the Twin Towers, the, the Twin Tower, the North Tower, and that's a tremendous amount of fire to overcome. And I'm thinking about all the firefighters in that firehouse across the street where I began my career, they were all friends, even though I left there in 1996 when I was promoted to lieutenant, but the night before I was back in that firehouse. On the, on the evening before September 11th, I stopped into my old firehouse because I was doing a speaking engagement in Manhattan. And I stopped by to say hello to the guys because I hadn't been there in a while. Hmm. And we were just talking, we were all catching up on small talk and what's been going on in our lives. And I asked one of the firefighters, uh, his name was Tommy. I said, Tommy, so what's up? You know, how things going? He said, says, he says, we've been so quiet around here, they should close this firehouse. Hmm. And I said, Tommy, I said, you know what? Don't kid yourself one day an alarm was going to come into this firehouse and life is never going to be the same. But did
0: you know that it was going to be the next day.
1: The next day. I mean, this is like, this is a premonition. I just, you know. So anyway, I I made my way to my firehouse where I began my career. And I uh, parked my vehicle on the sidewalk behind the firehouse because I remembered the incident in 1993 when they bombed the towers that we should not block the streets with unnecessary vehicles so that ambulances can go... Through the complex and get people to hospitals because in 1993 the whole perimeter of the World Trade Center was blocked by police cars, fire engines, and ambulances. They couldn't find the drivers to these vehicles who were up in the towers, and we couldn't get people to hospitals because the ambulances were all blocked in. So I, I remembered that lesson on the morning of September 11th, not to block the street. I, blocked on, I parked on the sidewalk in the rear of the firehouse, and me and the three college kids ran around to the front of the firehouse, and both of the doors of the firehouse were wide open. Both of the fire engines had already responded to the North Tower. And I'm, I go to run into the firehouse, which I can because the doors are open, but I'm being hindered by people laying all over the floor of the firehouse, civilians were hit with jet fuel pieces of the building they were running saw firehouse with the doors open the man in there as a a, a, as a haven of safety and they were laying all over the floor of the firehouse and i had to kind of like hopscotch and jump over them to get a set of firefighting clothing from another fireman who was off duty i took off my dress uniform and i took tommy mcnamara was a lieutenant he was home and i took his helmet his boots his gloves his jacket And I ran out of the firehouse. I left the three college kids with the injured people uh, because the college kids had become EMTs. I told them, treat these people as best as you can and call ambulances and get some of these people to the hospital. But nobody was in critical condition because if they were, I would have stayed in the firehouse most likely. So the three college kids were able to handle the minor injuries that these people had. And I put on the firefighting clothing and I ran out of the firehouse to the North Tower. But I had to pass the South Tower in order to get to the North Tower. And as I'm running past the South Tower, I hear a roar and the second jet came over my head. I was right underneath it. Wow. And it slams through uh, the South Tower between the 77th and the 85th floor. Hmm. And now I'm basically, I was in shock when I first got there. Now, I'm like this. I'm in shock, like you know, on steroids at this
0: point. You're like, what in the world is happening now?
1: What in the world is happening now? At that point, the first thing I knew, this was a terrorist attack. Because they told us in 1993, when they bombed the towers and failed to knock them down, that they were going to come back and do it again. And for me, it was obvious, because I was there for the bombing in 93. I'm back again eight years later uh, for the attack by the jets up above. So I knew right away this was definitely a terrorist attack. There's no way in the world a coincidence of two jets and striking two towers within 17 minutes of each other. Mm. The second thing I said to everybody that I encountered at the scene of the police officers, firefighters, and ambulance attendants, I said, everybody on the top of the towers are going to die. Mm. I said, we're not going to get to them and they're definitely not getting down. You know, that's, That's not even to be considered, unfortunately. For the first time in my career, we all had to make a decision that rescuing those people was not going to happen. They were doomed to death until they decided to jump or until they got crushed when the buildings came down. We could not get to them and they could not get down. They were waving articles of clothing out the window and I'm looking up at them in desperation, trying to tell them, I wish I can help you, but I can't. Wow. And I, I'm imagining that I'm hearing their voices, which obviously I can't, as if to say, "Hey, come up here and get us. We can't take it no longer." And then at that point, they just started jumping out of the building like raindrops wow. all on me.
0: So you saw. I remember. Point, I remember watching uh, on the news, like seeing people, you know, jump out of these. You were actually seeing. You were actually right there, and you were watching people jump from from those buildings, right? And I mean, how was how did that feel? Like just seeing people jump from, you know, that 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 building and just hitting the ground and How was that experience for
1: you? Well, it was a horrible experience because I never saw something like that before. And when the first person jumped, I saw it at the corner of my eye, but I thought a piece of the building had broken off up above, and it was kind of falling down. And I I was starting to run and make it underneath the footbridge uh, so I wouldn't get hit with whatever that little piece of metal was, which I thought, but it wasn't a piece of metal. And something told me just to turn around to make sure that this piece of metal wasn't flying to me as i'm running and at the corner of my eye i get a good look and now i see arms and legs are flailing oh my goodness wow. all i said to myself no way don't tell me this is a person and the body came down parallel to the wall of the north tower it's not like the but it's not like the person like just flew across the street. It came down like four feet parallel to the wall of the, of the tower, straight down. And in front of the North Tower uh, uh, at the street level was a big glass awning taxi taxicabs and limousines used to pull underneath to let people out that were going to the Twin Towers. And the person crashed right through that glass awning. Hmm. Somebody recorded it, and you hear this loud glass explosion. That was the body. Out, I was outside, but you can hear it inside the tower as well. Wow, and then wow. after that, I guess people up above just figured if he or she, whoever that person was jumped, mm. then we're going to do it too. Mm-hmm. And at that point, on all sides of both towers, people were just jumping. Some, oh were, coming goodness. Down, some were coming down hugging each other. Some were coming down holding hands. And wow. And at that point, you know, it got... It got so bad, like, I just didn't want to watch it anymore, but you had to because you had to be careful that they didn't jump on top of you. And uh, what, what was so horrible about it was that the way I explained it so many years later to people like you, uh, as a firefighter or a police officer or a ambulance attendant, paramedic, you're always dealing with death in mm-hmm. every situation. Mm-hmm than you can imagine, the most horrible death you get to witness throughout your career. But it's always the case that when you get to uh, an emergency scene, you're coming upon a body that's already expired. Hmm. And after a while, you kind of get used to death, right? Yeah. Today, on September 11th, I'm sharing in their death. Yeah. Here on September 11th, I'm looking up and I'm seeing a human being, yeah. and they jump, and I can count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. As they're coming down, you have to imagine there's still life in that body. Yeah, it's not until they hit the ground that they're dead. So I had the unfortunate experience to have to watch and share hmm. in the last ten minutes of a the last ten seconds of a person's life over and over and over again, you know? So that's very hard to process. Like, I didn't really- Yeah,
0: even mentally, right? I mean, how how do you even process something like that, you know?
1: Yeah, because they decided to end their life, not that they didn't decide to end their life, they took the ultimate act of, of, of desperation, thinking that somehow if they jumped out of the building and escaped the heat and the fire, that maybe somehow that they would land on the ground on their feet. Yeah, I'm sure they're
0: thinking, well, if, I, if we stay here, we die. If we jump, we die. We might as well jump, right? Perhaps we might live. Right? Who knows? Maybe
1: I'll land on my feet. I know that's a crazy idea, but you got to put yourself in their position. Yeah. They're thinking, yeah. they couldn't yeah. take yeah. any. And nobody, trust me, I don't believe anybody jumps out of a building because they're afraid, okay? If you jump out of a building, you're jumping because you can no longer physically stand in that environment of yeah. intensity. I think you just naturally jump because, because burning alive is, is something that it's so painful. Mm-hmm. Just jump out of desperation. That's what they were doing. Yeah. And, and I'm watching and I'm sharing in the last eight to 10 seconds of their life. And I don't want to be sharing in the end of somebody's life. You know what I mean? It, because now I'm attached to that death, you yeah. know what
0: I mean? Yeah, and, and psychologically, so look- how, how did you even deal with that psychologically? Because as you're narrating this ex- this experience, I'm sure you keep playing this over and over again, right? Until you actually extricate it from your mind. But how do you even, just the memories, right? Of just that thing playing over and over again. And sure if you're telling your story, you're recounting it. You're probably seeing that scene replay over and over again in your mind,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, on top of it all, Fred. Well, what happens is I told you before, Fred. I was adamant about these buildings collapsing, and I was telling as many people as I could that I was encountering around the uh, the circumference of, of the uh, of the complex. Right. Um, I'm I'm running into police officers, firefighters, ambulance attendants friends that i knew friends that i recognized who i used to work with and i'm telling them that these towers are going to collapse and they're kind of looking at me like, like i'm kind of like crazy or like how could you say something like that why are you saying something like that and and of course in the back of my mind i know we're going to lose a lot of people when the towers come down maybe even myself but the people that i want to say mostly were the emts and paramedics that was setting up a treatment area in the towers. I didn't want to lose them because this was not a firefighting incident. Everybody thinks about the the incident on 9-11 as the biggest firefighting incident in history. No, it was not a firefighting incident at all. Nobody even put a drop of water on that fire. It was a rescue and a medical response. That was really the crux of what was going on that day. And I wanted to make sure that I chased And evacuated the ambulance crews away from the towers because I knew we would need the most in the evening when the buildings came down. And they didn't really want to leave. They were giving me a hard time. They couldn't understand why I was evacuating them. And I was trying to tell them over and over again, the tower's going to collapse. You need to get out of here and go about six blocks away. And the last ambulance crew finally listened. They they went away. And then the building came down. It started coming down when I was outside of the south tower underneath it. I just heard a loud rumble and a roar, and I looked up and the South Tower starts collapsing. And I just said to myself, you idiot, you're the one who knew the building was going to collapse and you put yourself right underneath it. And at that point, I guess I imagined I had about 10 seconds left to live. And I think I was afraid that my body would never be found or identified. Mm. So I started running, trying to make it under the footbridge that went over the main thoroughfare of the Twin Towers. I never did make it to that footbridge. Uh, the building came down it, uh, with a gust of wind about 200 miles an hour, somebody estimated. It lifted me off of my feet. I was flying through the air and a piece of steel hit me in the back of the head and split the back of my head open. Wow. Now, did
0: you did you see this coming down into you? Do did you, did you realize that this was coming down, down in you? Running, I was just
1: running as fast as hmm. I can, knowing that I was going to be, I knew I, I would not outrun the building. I was just thinking that, I would make it underneath the footbridge and maybe they would find a piece of my body for a funeral. Wow. And buried under the building with all these other people in this darkness. We were all suffocating. There's no more air. And the people were screaming all around me in the darkness, but we couldn't see each other. We were all pinned under steel and concrete. And after a while, those screams had turned into cries, cries into whimpers, whimpers into silence. One by one, I think they all died. And I was still breathing, and I was in the middle of all these fires. And I was hoping that I would suffocate if I burned to death.
0: So obviously you're still conscious.
1: Uh, I never lost consciousness. I remember every single second.
0: Wow. wow. how did they find you?
1: Well, the, eventually they found the void and there was a couple of us they found and pulled us out and they put me on a stretcher and they ran with me to the, uh, across the street from the towers was the shoreline of the Hudson River that separates New York from New Jersey boats had come from new jersey into the manhattan side with the anticipation of getting people out of manhattan by boat so a bunch of boats were rushing to the scene one boat was only on the shoreline of the manhattan side and they placed me on the deck of the boat on a stretcher and they were holding my head closed and they said i was going to die hmm. if uh, i couldn't get to the hospital and all of a sudden the second building collapsed it flew across the street on top of the boat everybody jumped overboard into the river and I broke free from the stretcher and I rolled off into a doorway and I dove head first into the engine room and now the north Tower buried the boat on the river and I was buried a second
0: time wow not only not only did you suffer that first crash now you're now now the second crash as well now do, do you remember how much pain you're in at that point um initiate
1: we really? have noow wow, idea how wow my ribs are broken. My left arm is snapped in half the back of my head was split open. My neck and back was crushed. I was bleeding internally. And I just said to myself, this is it, you know? Yeah. And, and it was something I hadn't done in a long time. I actually, I actually closed my eyes and I said a prayer. Mm. And uh, I didn't want to die angry. You know, I actually, I accepted my fate and I just wanted God to take care of my family that when they received the news, to make it easy on them.
0: Wow. How did they find you um, in the rubble uh, on this boat?
1: I'm sorry, say that again, Fred?
0: How did they find you um, in the rubble on this boat after the second building?
1: After about an hour of being buried in the engine room alone, people came back to the boat with the anticipation, I guess, of moving the boat someplace. And they came into the engine room and found me. Then the boat skipped across the river and paramedics were waiting on the New Jersey side I heard them saying on the deck above, there's a firefighter in the engine room. You got to get him out now. So, paramedics came into the engine room, put me on a spine board, and they lifted me out of the engine room. And next thing I know, I'm laying in an ambulance, and then I black out.
0: Do you remember then, how long How long you are trapped um, in, in the boat for, before they came back? About an hour. Wow. Were you bleeding? Were you, do you remember?
1: Yes, I was bleeding. Blood was just oozing out of my head. The inside, I was bleeding. Wow a lot and I basically resigned myself to death at that point. This is a
0: miracle that you survived because imagine hemorrhaging for an hour without pain and all of that. This this could have been it. Well, but Fred, I guess that prayer saved your life.
1: Fred, I owed out so much money everybody was praying for me. I've been to live a long life, keep borrowing money for people to pray for you every single night.
0: Let him live so he
1: can pay back his debts. <laughs> exactly. One woman asked me, in one of my speaking engagements, she says, Can you please tell me in the last moments of your life, did you hear quote unquote the voice? She wanted to know that I hear the voice of God telling me it's not your time, you gotta go back, like a lot of people have told. Yeah. I said, oh, I said, I heard the voice from the bank manager told me to come back.
0: I just <laughs> <the> second
1: mortgage. <laughs>
0: No, we, we're making a lot of this, uh, Joe. I mean, this, is, this is a life and death situation here, right? I mean,
1: exactly. it is what it is. I mean,
0: you know, I love humor. You know,
1: it's at the point where uh, I don't want this to be the Joe Turillo sauce. Right. I want to right. share that interesting story about Billy Blazes. Yeah. So, the morning of September 12th, when the sun came up, right, and the towers were laying down upon themselves, people realized that Superman is not real. Batman and Robin's not real. Spider-Man is not real. The only children's rescue hero, whoever came to life, was Billy Blazes on the morning of September 11, 2001, when he would come to represent the 343 firefighters that made the supreme sacrifice of their life in the greatest rescue effort ever ever witnessed. And he would save my life to tell the story. that was really how the whole day started, with a new rescue hero that would actually become to life for kids.
0: And imagine all this while your family, wife, and kids were, were frantic, fearing the worst, right? I mean, you found yourself in this ambulance, and you, you were I guess you were transported to a hospital in New Jersey, right?
1: I was in Jersey City Trauma Center. And when they were cutting my clothes off of me, all fires we write our name on the inside of our jackets at Tommy McNamara.
0: Yeah, because you're wearing Tommy McNamara's clothing, right? It wasn't even you. So they thought it was Tommy, probably, right? Exactly, exactly.
1: I don't know if I look like a McNamara, but I understand same where <laughs> they don't mess with me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. So so how long did it take for, I guess, your family to make the connection? Did they find you? I mean, how, how, how did that all play out?
1: Okay, what happened was that morning, before I left headquarters for the press conference, uh, I got a call from a good friend, my friend, Richie Skinner. He called me about uh, eight o'clock that morning. And uh, he says, hey, what are you doing today? He says, I'm on my way into Manhattan. I said, oh, I says, I got to go to Manhattan too. I have a big press conference. Oh, what what are you doing? I "I told him quickly about the story about Billy Blazers. And he says, oh, he says, I have a couple of meetings in Manhattan. Maybe we'll touch bases later on in the afternoon. We can have lunch together. And I said, "Okay, great. So anyway. I get the news that a plane hit the tower. I I end up down at the World Trade Center. My friend Richie was already in Manhattan when the plane hit. And uh, he ended up making a U-turn and went back home, upstate New York, uh, a suburb of New York City. And he was watching the incident on his TV and listening to all the TV reports. And... He called the firehouse and the the firehouse, the guys in the firehouse said, I think he's gone. I think he's under the South Tower and he was frantic and he didn't know what to do. And so they were saying there might be people in hospitals in other states. And he started, he left his house at midnight and drove to all the hospitals in New Jersey and he's the one that found me even though I was misidentified. But what happened was the fire department didn't know for three days that I was still alive. And so Richie eventually called my family the following day and that's how they found out because Richie was the one who cleared up all the confusion about who I was and misidentified. But the fire department didn't know for three full days. I didn't know that they didn't know. I didn't even know that anybody had died at that point. I thought I was the only one hurt. I had no idea. I was tied to the bed on one feet.
0: So, <laughs> I can't think of anyone who goes through a tragic event like this um, who, whose outlook on life doesn't change. I mean, as you look back on your own life and all that, that what, what, what are you afraid of now?
1: You know what, uh, what am I afraid of? I think I'm afraid of, honestly, I'm afraid of getting old to the point where I'm not going to long, where I may no longer have enthusiasm, to do the things that used to bring me a lot of joy. You know, Uh, I'm gonna be 65 in November and it's really starting to bother, age is starting to bother me a lot because the years all went by so quickly and I just felt that I should have been a lot more successful in my life and you know, and, and you I, have
0: been. I mean, just sacrificing your life, you know, just thinking about what you went through. I mean, you're looking great. I don't see any scars, at least from what I'm seeing. Right? I don't see any scars or anything. From... Well, by my hair on the head. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And
1: look, Fred, right. nobody ever accused me of being a good-looking guy, so don't
0: don't be afraid to say it. You are a good-looking guy. I've been you accused of
1: a lot of things, but good-looking was never one of them.
0: You are a good-looking guy. And, and you're looking back on this... And, and Joe, and, and I say this not to patronize you, because there, there are a lot of people who go through events like this that, you know, uh, that kind of scars them, you know, emotionally and mentally forever, right? But you, 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 you're making jokes, you're, you're saying some of these things anecdotally. Um, what, ex- what has this taught you, really? I mean, if you think about your own philosophy and some of these experiences in life, what is, has there been any, any lessons at all that, that, that you've learned from this, from this incident that happened uh, 19 years ago?
1: You know what, people ask me that uh, quite often. And what happened was when, when I got out of the hospital and then my recuperation, when I could walk again, it was about four full years before I was feeling normal again. Uh, not mentally or psychologically, I had uh, issues, I had cognizant issues. So they, was, they were sending me to a specialist, which I didn't really want to go. Uh, my doctors, my neurologist, wanted me to see mental health professionals, and I refused because I didn't really have anything to speak about to a mental health professional. I un- I know what happened. I knew that whatever happened was never going to be undone, and I just had to deal with it. Like everybody that's ever been in a tragedy, it happens to you. you got to get it back on in life, and, and that's what I decided to do. But they told me, well, you need to go – to was or go for was something I didn't even know what it was. It was called the uh, normal psychiatry. Mm-hmm. And normal psychiatry is a branch of psychiatry that deals with cognizant mm-hmm. issues, not mental, not emotional. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, it's cognizant, meaning mm-hmm. that. So, to try to explain to you was this here I had some normal, psychi- normal psychiatry issues as my concentration mm-hmm. was really bad my focus was bad uh, my temper got really bad mm-hmm. my anger got really bad and also uh, issues with uh, like if you were giving me your phone number
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and I was writing it down I would write it down backwards mm-hmm. like I wouldn't so and so in normal psychiatry you sit down with mental health professionals and they actually play games with you mm-hmm. And then I gotta repeat the story repeat back. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean to see how well I was interpreting information. So anyway, I went through that whole bit and then I realized that I had to make a big decision. I was gonna I was gonna crawl into a corner, shrivel up, and die. Mm-hmm. I had to get back up on my feet mm-hmm. and get on with life, especially because I had a wife and four young children. I had mm-hmm. friends, and brothers and sisters. And I realized that in the true spirit of what firefighters represent, you have this uh, unfortunate obligation to be able to portray the maximum amount of strength at any given time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's what I did. Whether or not that strength was really there or not, and, and, and it's not, you know, it's never been easy. You know, uh, I always hope and pray every night that I'll be the same that I was the day before September 11th. Mm. You know, long recovery, and you know what? There's no time for sympathy, Fred. Many, many people have suffered yeah. way more than I ever had. And you know what? That's the nature of life, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, my, you know, my grandmother's sister, she used to tell me in, in broken English, she would say, everybody has a cross to bear. Some people's mm. cross are heavier than others.
0: Yeah. And, it, and, and it's true, right? As we, as we, as we remember, uh, you know, the, the, the painful memories of what happened 19 years ago, I'm sure people remember the memories and it's painful. And now to top it up with, with COVID and everything else that's happening, th- there's so many people that are going through some painful um, experiences life. And, and, and you've spoken, I mean, you use using your experiences, Mr. Terilita, you, you speak, you're a speaker, you travel around, you inspire people with your story. There's probably someone watching to this podcast right now. They probably weren't there on 9/11, 2001, but they're dealing with their own storm right now. Uh, a- any words of comfort, advice, or inspiration that are you want to share with someone
1: today? As a matter of fact, you know, I tell people all the time. You know, when I travel the country speaking, you know, as I tell my story, I kind of morph into inspirational speaking points. I said, you know what? You know, life is going to take you on a roller coaster. Yeah. You know, you're going to experience. You know, honestly, that the highs and the lows of the roller coaster. Uh, yeah. It's going to put you on the Ferris wheel. where yeah. you, you, Wherever you start, you come back again. And it's also like the merry-go-round. There are times where you just keep going in circles. And you don't know where you're going. But life is going to do that to all of us, you know. Life is never what we always wanted it to be. Life is never going to be what we always thought it would be. Um, you know, life is, uh, it, it's tender, it's uncertain. And you got to make the best of it. And you always got to remember that whatever you're going through in life, Mm. somebody else already went through it, Mm. Mm. and somebody else is going through it with you. So you're never ever alone, and nobody should ever feel like they're strange or they're weird Mm -hmm. because you know we're humans, you know, and we're susceptible to all kinds of emotions that even we don't understand. And go through it day by day. You kind of manage it, you know. You sort out this stuff, and I realize that uh, in life, there are so many things that have affected us in the past. But what I want people to know is that there's a reason why the windshield in your car is much bigger than the rearview mirror. Yes. Because what's ahead for everyone is going to be way more than anything anybody's ever left behind. Mm -hmm. And the sun that shines tomorrow morning, when you look at it, there's no particular person's name on that sun. Mm -hmm. That sun shines for you and everyone else and it's the start of another new day. Mm. And I understand that for some of us, there might not be time for a new beginning because of what's happened in the past. And look, I feel that same way too. I would love to have a brand new beginning. We all would be able to have the, that big eraser and wipe the blackboard free and clear, right? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. that we you know that's not gonna happen. But because there might not always be that time for a new beginning, there's always time for a better ending and people just have to look at it that way.
0: Wow, wow. What, what powerful words and a way to kind of bring this um, to an end here. I want to be respectful of your time, but thank you again, first of all, one for, for your sacrifice, for all these years that you spent as a New York City firefighter, um, sacrificing your own life um, and living to sharing your experience with us and, and our audience and whoever's listening. And, and, and I want to say thank you Thank you again um, secondly for coming on this on this podcast and to those of you who are watching who you know uh, may remember maybe this interview brings memories maybe you have friends or loved ones that that you'd lost um, or maybe that you're impacted yourself by I want to say thank you and, and find find comfort and I like what you said uh, there uh, throughlip the sun's gonna shine again and it doesn't have any one particular person's name on it it shines for every single one of us that uh, this will bring us hope so Thank you. I really appreciate your time, and uh, you're such an inspiring story. May you continue to live and inspire many others um, through this. But your website is going to be um, on the screen as well. If anyone wants to, you know, learn more about you and your story, it's going to be on the on the screen as well. So
1: very interesting topics on that speaking menu. A topic for almost everybody and anybody, and you can choose one topic or as many topics as you want.
0: Absolutely. So if you want to have Joe you know, come and share his story, maybe this or any other um, experiences, please feel free to, to reach out to him. Uh, his information is on the screen. But Joe, thank you again for coming on the Time of podcast. really appreciate it. day, I hope
1: to see you personally.
0: Absolutely. Thank you.